0: Welcome to our ongoing series of Icons of Relocation podcast. My name is Simon Johnston. I'm the CEO of Icon Relocation, a provider of world leading home search, moving technology and property management solutions. Now, if London was going to have one true sister uh, city globally, I would personally propose it would be New York. Uh, Not only are they two of the probably the most important financial hubs anywhere in the world, they're also one of the most common traffic lanes between the two cities for anywhere globally for the relocation industry. And with that in mind, who best to discuss New York than good friend Brenda Levis from New York City Navigators. Great to have you with us, Brenda. How are you?
1: Thank you, Simon. It's wonderful to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's so good to see you again. I have to say, I mean, every time we meet up, we meet at conferences a lot. And then we sit and we talk for ages and then we realize the whole day, well, the whole evening seemed to gone by. Uh, I think there's a danger doing it here because there is just so much to unpack and discuss. However, what I really want to focus on is the sort of differences between New York and London with the housing market and how it works. Because um, I think they they've got so much in common, but when it comes to properties, really quite a different process. So, if I may, I'm just going to sort of fire a whole bunch of questions at you, and if you could help walk us through it, I'll be delighted.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Right. So let's 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 get going. So, um one of the things is uh we talked about sort of renter uh so guarantee companies could you explain what a guarantee company is
1: so let me please allow me to give you some history on these guarantor companies and how they came to be in new york Um, the real estate laws changed back in 2019 the intention of which was very genuine and good it was to protect the tenants that either did not have a good credit history, uh, maybe they're immigrants that uh, did, did not have a social security number and were just starting out. So landlords used to be able to ask for three months, six months, one year uh, security deposit up front, which was a big financial burden. Shoot. So they changed the laws here and said to the landlords, you can only ask for one month upfront. And our savvy New York landlord said, hmm, no. <laughs> they said, if we can only take one month security deposit, then you need to guarantee us we're not going to get stiffed, for lack of a better word, on the rent. So all of these guarantor companies popped up, which mm-hmm. are like a bail bondsman. If you've ever heard of Dog the Bounty Hunter. It's basically... yeah. <laughs> You, you you go and you pay anywhere from a half a month's rent to one month's rent up front, and they will guarantee the lease. Now, when the lease renews annually, you may have to pay this again if your landlord is not comfortable with the payment history. So you're still responsible for paying your rent every month, mm-hmm. but the landlord has the assurance that if you don't, this this guarantor company will cover it. And the landlord also has um, the freedom to dictate which of these companies you work with. So let's say you have a company like Rhino that charges a lower fee, maybe closer to the half a month's rent. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not necessarily be able to use Rhino. The landlord might say, we only work with insurance or we only work with the guarantors but that's basically how that works it's been a big challenge for corporations this year because all of a sudden in addition to the real estate broker fees that are specific to new york or more of a requirement in new york now on top of that broker fee they also are being asked to come up with a guarantor fee. So they're going back to their employer and with their handout and saying like hey are you gonna help me out with this because this is a big out-of-pocket expense for me yeah
0: huge so is it the case that the, is it every sign you will have to use them or is there only occasions when they will have to use them?
1: It's only, it, it's on occasion. It's on a lot of occasions. I mean, right. you think about people coming to the U S they do not have a social security number without a social security number. You can't have a U.S. credit history. So you're starting off just with a blank slate here and with no reassurance to the landlord that you're going to pay your rent. It helps if you work for a, a company whose name is more recognized, mm-hmm. bigger corporations that we work with, those landlords um, landlords are more apt to not require them to have a guarantor. Often, uh, it's the small mom and pop shops that are really concerned that they don't have um, any kind of relationship with the corporation, they don't have any kind of relationship with the assignee, so right. they they're scared. They're scared you're just gonna come in and then take off in a month or stop paying the rent in a month. Right. So so they'll just ask you to get a guarantor and there's so much competition. I mean, they could rent to an American with a US credit score of over 800, which is considered outstanding here. Right. So if you've got 50 people in line for an apartment mm-hmm. and one has an 850 credit score and one has zero credit history, you need to say, "I'll come up with a guarantor. Like, don't worry about it. My my lease is secure." So, it's sort of levels the playing field, a bit, I
0: suppose, from that
1: perspective. Exactly, exactly. It's the closest you're going to get to a level playing field. Okay.
0: Right. If if that's the case, um, why are corporate uh, guarantors undesirable in New York? So I mean, I you know you mentioned this before, so yeah. you would have thought they'd be more popular. But...
1: No, I know, and I know it's it's uh, the opposite in the UK, where yeah, I, right. In it's a rough the, rule yes in the uk I've, I've learned that uh it's much more common that that clients really like to have a corporate guarantor mm-hmm. and it's totally the opposite on this side um and and there are a couple of reasons for that really um the the first being that if if a landlord has a corporate lease and something happens with that They, this is a very litigious society as you may have heard. Uh, So (laughs) to have to go to court against a big corporation who might have internal counsel, you just, you're not gonna have deep enough pockets to to go to battle against a corporation. So they're afraid, the landlords are afraid there. It's amazing because you would have thought,
0: sorry to jump in there, but you would have thought that a major company wouldn't want their image or reputation uh, sort of damaged in that way. So, therefore, there will be a relatively safe bet. But you're saying it really is quite the opposite.
1: Yeah, it it really is the opposite. Landlords don't want anything to do with having to go to battle against a corporation. Um, And then the the other thing is, even if they weren't worried about that aspect of it, let's say – the employee leaves the firm they didn't have a lease with the employee they had a lease with the corporation right, that right. now that corporation can rotate in additional employees and most buildings in new york do not want the transient stays so that's also not desirable at all for okay links.
0: so really fundamental difference that's a really good one that's, it's gone to another fundamental difference which uh, i always find interesting And that's the wonderful world of broker's fees. Um, So could you walk us through when are they required to be paid? And is it always the case there'll be a broker's fee?
1: Yes. So New York is its own beast (laughs) 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 with regards to broker fees and and New York City specifically, because even outside of New York, within New York State, um, the rules in, let's say, Westchester County are different than New York City, the rules in Long Island the rules in upstate, um, it's all different. But in New York City specifically, uh, you you do not have to pay a broker fee. This is surprising to some people. You don't always have to pay a broker fee. Uh, We actually have programs where we help clients that are not authorized for a broker fee go directly to buildings that have management companies in-house, and they can rent a unit straight from the building and not pay a broker fee. So that's good news to all the corporations out there, to all the employers that have heard about this dreaded, dreaded broker fee. Mm. Um, The broker fee, the standard broker fee in New York City, Mm -hmm. is 15% of the annual rent. So it's substantial, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is substantial. You pay it once up front, and you never get that money back. It's a big outlay. Um, We have seen over the years more and more companies corporations stepping away from covering that benefit for their employees because it mm-hmm. is such a big expense. So employees are trying to get more resourceful and how can I find an apartment without mm-hmm. using the services of a broker? Um, I, I want to also clarify that those buildings that you can go to directly that have the management mm-hmm. in-house are typically more luxury Buildings. Okay. So if you're coming to New York with a lower budget, lower in our case might be, you know, $2,000, $2,500, even $3,000 for a studio or one bedroom, you probably are not going to be able to go directly to a luxury doorman building, which means you may need to pay the broker fee up front. You're probably dealing with a private landlord um condos and co-ops are typically represented by real estate brokers if you're represented by a real estate broker you're probably paying a fee so you may pay less from month to month in your rent but you do have that initial upfront cost of a real estate broker
0: right so that's really important uh, when anybody's relocating to really make sure they understand where their budget is in proportion and recognise that if you're the low end, you're almost certainly going to be paying a broker fee. Yes. Uh, OK, I, I, you just said something just now and I'd like to pick up on the because a- another great difference between uh, London and New York is some of the language and the terminology. Um, you just uh, mentioned sort of condos and co-ops, uh, which are not a common phrase used within the UK at all. So for Cloudy, could you explore that for us? And, and what is the definition of those?
1: yeah absolutely so a condominium is basically a privately owned unit in a building in an apartment building so it could be um that it's a small brownstone like you see on the cosby's and on friends um where it's one unit amongst four five six seven eight nine when you own that single unit that's a condominium you pay homeowners associations you have an application approval process. Usually with condominiums, it's not terribly stringent. I've actually never seen a condominium application be turned down. It's just that you're getting into additional application fees versus going to um, a luxury building that you just walk in. When
0: you say additional application fees, just to pick up on that, can you just expand on that a bit more? What are we talking about there?
1: Yeah, so going back to those 2019 real estate law changes, um, New York City, and also capped the application fee at twenty dollars, which is fabulous. That that's mm. really really nice. You just what pay... were they
0: before? So to keep asking questions with you. I mean, did it vary enormously, substantially higher? It taken?
1: did. I mean, it could it could go up. Um, it could go up to two fifty. It could go up even higher than than right. that.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: Depending on um, if so, if you're if it's a condo and you're getting into condo application fees, mm. um, you could easily be paying $250, two fifty, three fifty and there are higher move-in fees um, than you'd get into with a rental building so you might be asked to put up a thousand dollar move-in fee or even more and a thousand dollar move-out fee non-refundable it's just because you've gone into that building and they need to put down floor coverings and wall coverings and there's maintenance involved in the in part of the building so they're going to charge you for that so you know, from a corporation's perspective to have their employee come in, it's not as desirable. Um, But typically with a condominium, you're gonna get higher end finishings because an owner at one point had that unit and they might've gone in and put in a washer and dryer. They may have put in nice moldings, higher end appliances, that kind of thing. So they're desirable, condominiums are definitely desirable. Now co-ops on Mm. the other hand, are a lot more complicated. They are, you you don't even own the actual unit. So these are apartments in in a building. Um, The the price to purchase a co op is going to be significantly less than to purchase a condominium. But the monthly maintenance fees are going to be lower on the condominium and much higher on the co op. With co op, you co ops, you're buying a shares in a corporation. So you have a board that you have to go to for everything. If you want to change the color of your door, if you want to do any kind of, uh, you know, amendments to your apartment, you've got to go to, to the board. If you want to sublet very often with a co-op, the board limits the number of years you can sublet your apartment. And let's say you can only sublet your apartment for two years. After that, you're, you're done like that's it for the whole time that you own the apartment
0: wow and it's totally their decision and they can make whatever decision they see is appropriate
1: yes yes and so that can be challenging Uh, if a transferee comes in and they might see this lovely co-op again it's an owner even though it shares in a corporation an owner probably went in and did some upgrades and Um, raise the quality of the finishings inside with co-ops because they are less expensive, you might get a better deal on the rent. So let's say somebody comes in from overseas, they want to rent this unit, what they might not be aware of is you can only rent that unit for one year or you can only rent that unit for two years and then you're probably going to be asked to leave
0: because so there's of, no course of repeal so you couldn't actually go back at the end of the term and ask for that decision to be revisited it's the, the initial decision is final
1: no done is done so you wouldn't know that right you, you wouldn't know that if you <laughs> were just walking in off the street you think hey i found this amazing apartment you're not thinking right. about Going to happen a year from now or what's going to happen two years from now Um, the other thing with co-ops is the applications are this thick of paperwork they scour your financials and if you're coming in from overseas that's going to be even more challenging the other um, part that's not as desirable with co-ops is the turnaround time on that application process is maybe 30 days it could be 60 days even It's a long time.
0: 60 days for what, for all the documentation to be completed so you can enter the
1: property? And to review, to be reviewed by the board. The board can take up to 60 days to come back. So here you are in limbo and you're probably gonna go back to your employer and say, you know what? They're still reviewing my application. Can I have an extra 30 days of temporary housing? So that's not, it's not good. It's not good for the corporation. It's um it's not good for the transferee and also at the end of it what if the board says no you can't have this apartment then you just wasted 30 to 60 days and you're back to square one and you have to start this process all over again
0: wow this is extraordinary isn't it i mean that is so radically different from the uk perspective which we just don't have anything that actually mirrors that at all so a real added challenge. Um, okay, here's a, another question to go along with this. You, you talked about improvements to the property and et cetera. Um, uh, the, the, the what we all call the white goods in there might be improved, but what about sort of furnished versus unfurnished? What would you typically expect? Yeah,
1: yeah that's a great question. And uh, again, it's it's one of the things that is the opposite from the UK, where you have more furnished units on the market americans typically like to take their furniture with them when they move <laughs> so in new york city in particular um, you have a lot of apartments that are going to be unfurnished it's it's unlikely that a unit is going to be furnished um, if you are coming to new york and you do want a furnished unit although this selection is going to be limited you will have an advantage over all of the applicants that don't want a furnished unit because they might be offering to the landlord um i'll pay you a little bit extra for you to take all the furniture out and put it in storage because i love your right. apartment right. don't love your furnishings right. so if they have uh, less maintenance and don't have to deal with having their household goods pulled out then you might have an advantage over it but um to go with just a, a straight unit one year lease you're probably not paying a premium for it being furnished because it's not necessarily considered an advantage
0: here. Okay. I mean, it is an unfair question, and I appreciate that up front, but what sort of percentage of properties would you say would be furnished versus unfurnished? I mean, would it, is it really the minority that would be furnished? Yeah. So if if you were looking, would you be looking at a vastly reduced housing stock as a result?
1: I'd say 5% or less.
0: Five, Right. okay, all right. Yeah. So so if you are looking for furniture, you may have some advantages, but you have to accept that the options available to you will be very limited indeed.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And then also um, washer dryers. I know in the UK, that's very, very common. And here... Mm -hmm not common at all um when you when you get into units that are two two bedrooms or more you can expect that they probably will have put washer dryers in but for all the studio apartments that are in new york city and all the one bedrooms we just don't have the plumbing so it's it's really a luxury if you find a washer or dryer in the unit you you might get them in the building you might say would
0: there be a communal area perhaps Sometimes. (laughs)
1: Not always. Um, You get into neighborhoods like the West Village that are highly desirable, but there are a lot of brownstone units, and they're Mm -hmm. very old builds, so you probably won't find the plumbing there. So you might not even have it in the building. You might have to go down the street to the laundromat. Old school. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Worth remembering. Okay, you just said something else which I'm going to pick up, and you're talking about some of the areas and neighbourhoods. So, I mean, we could talk about this for ages, but perhaps we could focus, which of the neighbourhoods would you suggest are up and coming and maybe should be at the forefront of your thinking?
1: Yeah, I think as we're seeing the the rental prices just be, uh, you know, through the roof right now. Uh, we're finding that we're needing to come up with options outside of the city. Places like Astoria that you used to have to push people to are high. Astoria is part of Queens, but it's a 20 minute commute to Midtown East, Um, so that's a really Good option for people that are working in that location. They've built a lot more luxury doorman buildings out there, but let's say you can get uh, a one-bedroom for three thousand instead of five thousand. Um, so that's wow. it's and it's got a great um vibe to it it's got a big greek influence it's very international lots of fun shops and restaurants so uh, that's a great area to be in and um, has really transformed with all the young people that have moved out there and not so young people that just don't want to spend all of their earnings on rent Uh, so astoria long island city has changed dramatically in the last 10 years Long Island City is surprisingly not in Long Island. It's also in Queens, <laughs> uh, but it's a great commute to anywhere in Manhattan. And then Brooklyn, you've got places that um, used to have to give people a nudge to go to like Greenpoint in Williamsburg. Prices in Williamsburg are higher than Manhattan now. So that's quieting down a little bit and you're seeing other neighborhoods pop up as more desirable like fort green which is next to park slope areas like flatbush crown heights bed Stye, which is an area you wouldn't have been rushing to move to 10 years ago but mm. the kids are pushing out to those locations um just to be able to afford to live anywhere near Manhattan. Yeah, I
0: I can totally understand that. I mean, sort of building on that as well without interrupting your flow a bit, but um, obviously a lot of people now are sort of having this combination of working at home, working, at going to the office uh, and whatever that ratio is, I'd be quite intrigued to know what that is in New York compared to say London. But if that was the case and you were spending more time working from home than going to the office, would that change your sense of where would be the right location?
1: I think it absolutely does, because a, a lot of times now, part of the initiation conversation is that they want a work from home space. So in order to have that work from home space, you're probably going to have to push out a little bit further if you don't have the luxury to increase your your budget.
0: Okay. Yeah. So when you say pushing up a bit further, what would that mean in the sense of commuting time or sort of distance, however you best want to interpret that?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so pushing out to some of those locations in Brooklyn, I mean, you, you might be talking about an hour commute into Midtown, right. um, but it, it's really just what you have to do in, in order to to have that New York City experience and New York City meaning it, the boroughs included. So yeah. Brooklyn, Queens, um, Staten Island. I think people are still feeling like they're part of the city and those areas very much um, like like the city and they're all developing their own different flares too. even New Jersey. I mean, it used to be really Hmm. tough. Like when I first moved to New York people encouraged me to go to Brooklyn this is a quarter of a century ago people encouraged me to go to Brooklyn and I thought I'm not moving to Brooklyn I'm moving to New York City and now I couldn't afford to buy my old apartment back in Brooklyn I mean it's
0: extraordinary isn't it
1: impressive. yeah this is
0: where the two cities have such a common theme about it the the cost differences over the years incredible
1: yeah you you have the same experience with people going further and further out right
0: oh absolutely i mean it's it's interesting comment about these sort of commuting times you're saying you know up to an hour you might have to consider it again okay. well absolutely that that is a very normal thing i think in in london i mean you can live in a sense of course you can it's amazing but you're paying a price premium i think most people who live here in the uk long term would happily accept an hour's commute into the heart of london it's so good it's so great the trains they're not necessarily the cheapest here in the uk but they're very reliable very solid and our commute backwards and forwards for overall quality of life and the better costings yeah not a difficult decision at all so in my personal opinion
1: yeah yeah
0: okay one last question because i I know we could talk about this for ages i'm so enjoying this brenda by the way it's it's so nice talking to you about this um One thing, if you don't mind me raising, New York City used to have a sort of a reputation about safety. Um, and it's an interesting conversation to say, yeah, you know, was that justified? And what is your views on that now?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's been really sad to watch. And I think as a destination services provider, we walk a fine line. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. want to reassure people that Uh, they're gonna be okay coming to New York and it's not a scary place. But on the other hand, you have to be realistic. Uh, I had a gentleman this past year who was relocating from another US city, it was a domestic move even, and he was nervous about safety in New York. And I gave him very realistic answers about what the situation is right now, Uh, in particular with the homeless situation, we've definitely seen a tremendous uptick in homeless. The homeless population and neighborhoods that maybe were really highly desirable there are Mm. bits of them that have been affected by this
0: by the homelessness
1: absolutely like chelsea for example there are parts of chelsea that
0: chelsea has been affected by that that's that's quite a shock isn't it
1: yes yes and it's it it feels very strange to be talking about a neighborhood like chelsea and then mentioning there are these streets through these streets that you want to be mindful of because there are a lot of homeless people on the corners. And if you're, if, especially if you have little ones, and you're mm-hmm. going out and having to walk around these people, it's, it's also, it's not just the homeless bit, mm-hmm. it's the mental illness bit. So to not know how someone is going to react to you because right. they're mentally unwell It's something you need to be mindful of. You just don't know who you're dealing with. Okay. Uh, So, unfortunately, it is something that it it is an issue. This gentleman, going back to that story, I was telling you, um, I talked to him about his concerns for safety, and I was being very careful not to overly reassure him. And then the next morning, there was that subway shooting. Um, So... You know, I reached out to him again to talk to him about it. I knew he was leaving that morning to go back to the state that he came from and just wanted to check in with him to see how he was doing. He, he was okay. I mean, also, we have families that come in, and mm. it's one of their biggest concerns moving to America with kids when they're hearing about school shootings. Again, these are conversations that we have to have with them, telling so sad, them about- yeah telling them what to expect you don't want them to be afraid but Mm. we do have school shootings and they do happen in the new york tri-state area unfortunately it doesn't happen every day so you kind of have to put into perspective how often this happens and also when we're touring schools if we're able to tour schools being mindful of the safety measures that are in place It's not necessarily a bad thing if you're having to walk through a metal detector going into a school in New York City or in suburbs in Westchester County and in the areas around. Um, It's not necessarily a bad thing if you have a security guard at the door. It feels a little uncomfortable, but if I can go to a school and open up the front door and there's not a security guard right there, that's a big red flag for me. And I'm going to point that out to the families that I'm with
0: I think that's a key issue, isn't it? It really just shows the value of having a a, a partnership with yourself in New York because it's those sort of things that you've really got to be alive to because certainly from a UK, London, European perspective, you wouldn't expect those being the the topic of conversation. So it really underlines having that local expert on the ground to actually help guide you through these things. It's just just everything, isn't it, really, to make a successful relocation happen?
1: It is, and actually... I'm going to digress a little bit on that Mm. note, but so if you are working just with a real estate broker, and we love real estate brokers, I am a real estate broker, we have real estate brokers on our team, but if you just come to New York and work with a real estate broker exclusively, not a destination services provider, they have limitations as to what they can share with you for information. So
0: Now, that's interesting. I I remember you mentioned this before, but can we explore that again? Because we talked about the difference between UK and US on this regard. You know, the UK, you have to disclose everything. But with you?
1: So in New York, um, New York more so than in other states. But again, um, we have fair housing laws here. So you have to be protected by these fair housing laws in the sense that um, New York State doesn't want the real estate brokers to be steering people into different pockets, according to demographics. Okay, um, Sure. And they don't want them to be creating specific neighborhoods of people coming from any country or any Mm -hmm. religion, or being any color. Um, So in order to prevent that, real estate agents are really limited as to what they can talk about. If, um, if I'm an Indian person coming in and I want to be an Indian community, a real estate mm-hmm. broker can't tell me where the Indian families live.
0: So That's interesting, isn't it? I, I understand the, the previous comment and I totally understand the fact that you don't want to sort of give an indicative pattern, but if somebody actually asks for that information, they can't disclose it.
1: No, and they can't. Get, they can't also tell you where the good schools are. They can't tell you if the neighborhood is safe they can't tell you about any particular religion in the neighborhood Um, so they can say if you're concerned about safety here's the number to the local precinct here's where you'll find your crime statistics but they're not allowed to comment on the criminality in any particular neighborhood because again they'd be steering you either towards a neighborhood or away from a neighborhood so if, if i'm moving to the united states from another country I don't care about your fair housing laws. I just wanna know the answers that are gonna help me get my family settled safely and comfortably. Right, So therefore it's advantageous to work with a destination services provider.
0: Uh, well, that that feels like a really good point to to stop the conversation. I have to say, I, I love talking to you about this. It's going back to the beginning, you know, London, New York. They, we have so much in common. And by the way, the London West End is better than Broadway. I know we talked about it earlier, but yeah, there's a there's a whole debate and the whole thing. But um, two amazing cities, two fantastic opportunities. You get a chance to live in London and New York is amazing either way, your hands or our hands. It's fantastic. Um, I, obviously, I can't wait to sort of work with you again. We do a lot of business together, and I hope we'll do a lot more going to next year. But may I just say thank you so much, Brenta, for your time. It's thank so you. helpful to have this insight. Uh, and I know we're going to be picking up this conversation again at some stage in the future.
1: Really appreciate it. Thank you, Simon. Happy holidays. Uh, such
0: pleasure. <laughs> See you soon, I hope. Take okay. care.
1: Take care.